Good evening. We welcome you to our Bible class. If you're joining us on uh, social media, we welcome you as well. We're continuing our study of Joshua, the man and the book. Uh, before we get into our lesson tonight, I'd gone around with those here in the audience and asked for a list of people that we need to have on our prayer list we got several that are either uh, dealing with COVID or recovering from COVID. Doug and Jody Smith are just about through with their recovery period. Uh, Martha Yates, Cassie Foster, Annabeth Worley, Kendall Galloway, Craig Glenn, and Ralph Williams asked us to pray for Gary Short. He's a friend of his. He's got COVID, but heart complications. He's been sent to Memphis for treatment. And then we need to remember Joan Mormon, who's recovering at home from a shoulder injury. Her sister, Norma Hemwall. Uh, and we've also been asked to include Dolores Coates and Brenda and Don Dawson in our prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your blessings. and it's Such a blessing to be able to come to you in prayer on behalf of those that uh, are in need of your help. 
We pray that you would be with Doug and Jody Smith and their recovery. We pray that you would be with Martha Yates and Cassie Foster and Annabeth Worley and Kendall Galloway and Craig Glenn, and especially with Gary Short as he deals with these heart issues. We pray for healing and recovery for Joan Mormon, for Norma Harwell, Dolores Coates, and Brenda and Don Dawson. And we ask that you be with us in our study of Joshua tonight. We pray that we'd find application for our own lives from what you preserve. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You'll remember that last week we were studying about the Gibeonites. In my study this week, I found a reference to the Gibeonites that happens several years later. It's found in 2 Samuel 21, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. I thought this was interesting because I think it shows us that God, when we make an oath to God, that God remembers that oath. And the oath that the Israelites had made to the Gibeonites happened over 300 years before this famine that God imposed on them because they had not been faithful to their oath. You know, we, we make oaths to God. Usually uh, wedding ceremonies include an oath to God to be faithful. Uh, when a person becomes a Christian, that's in essence an oath to God to be faithful. And so I believe there's a lesson there that, that when we make an oath, God takes that oath seriously. Uh, we're going to be studying tonight about Joshua's continued uh, war to capture the Canaan land, land of Canaan, the promised land. Brother Rick Warner will continue to be our designated reader. We really appreciate his help in that. You know, when you think about Joshua's war strategy, he had the, the invasion strategy, you know, you know where he, they crossed Jordan on dry land and pretty close after that attacked and defeated Jericho and in a couple of battles defeated Ai. And then he had his destruction of the southern part of the, of the promised land, uh, the forces that were there. And tonight we're going to take the third part of that where he destroys the northern forces. I've entitled this lesson, Total Destruction, Then the Land Rested from War. That's one of the last things that we're going to read if we get to the end of tonight's lesson. We'll be in Joshua chapter 11 and Joshua chapter 12. <clears throat> You'll remember about the Gideonites. Well, when the other kings heard of the Israelites' destruction of the southern cities of Canaan, they also formed an alliance of many of the kings in the north. 
And they came out with their troops and a large number of horses and chariots to fight against Israel. Brother Rick, would you read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11? And it came to pass when Jabin king of Hazar heard these things, that he sent to Jobab king of Madon, to the king of Simran, the king of Asaph, and to the kings who were from the north, in the mountains and the plains south of Chinnereth, in the low land and in the heights of Dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and in the west, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Pezerite, the Jebusite in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. This may be a blessing in disguise, because this, this king of Hazor um, was sort of like a chieftain in the area, and the other kings were sort of subservient to him. So when, when they came together, this got all the people in one spot for Joshua and the children of Israel to war against them. There in verse 4, just look what the Bible says about them. As many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. You know, uh, we're sort of nervous when we think about potential enemies of the United States. When you think about China, I can remember hearing people who talked about the Korean War. And he said, there's so many people in China that if they were marching six abreast and started marching towards us and we started shooting them down, there'd never be an end to the line. You know, just a lot of people there, and a tremendous enemy. And here, Joshua's enemy are called as many as the sands of the seashore. Now, what did God do to the chariots of the Egyptian army at the crossing of the Red Sea? Locked them up. They wouldn't roll. I think the Bible may have even said the wheels fell off. Let's look at Exodus fourteen twenty four and 25. Would you read that, Rick? Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us free from the face of Israel, for the Lord, the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. <clears throat> Sometimes the Bible makes an understatement. When he said that the wheels fell off and they drove their chariots with much difficulty, can you imagine trying to drive a chariot with no wheels? Uh, just drag that thing along. But God can take care of the weapons of our enemy. He was taking care of the weapons of the Egyptians and surely he will take care of the weapons of these people in Canaan land. The once, Lord, once again, uh, in verses 6 through 9, uh, told Joshua not to be afraid that he'd hand them over. He also said they were to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. 
Okay, Rick. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Miram, and they attacked them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon, to, to the brook Mezrephoth, and to the valley of Mizpah eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. That term hamstring or hawk a horse may not be familiar with you. To you, I, I was not that familiar with it. When I looked it up, it, I found that it it meant that a horse was to cut the sinew in the back legs so as to render the animal incapable of speed. There is a reference back in Deuteronomy 17 and verse 6 where the Lord forbid Israel from multiplying horses. And they kept this up until the time of Solomon, but of course during Solomon's time they violated that flagrantly. So what did Joshua do? Well, he and his army surprised the alliance suddenly and the Lord handed them over. Uh, the Israelites defeated this alliance until no survivors were left. And he did to the animals what God had told him. He hamstrung the horses and he burned the chariots as God had said. <clears throat> Why do you think God wanted the means of war, that is, horse-drawn chariots, destroyed rather than captured and becoming a spoil for the Israelites? Anybody got any ideas why that was? It could be more against them if somebody get them, you know. During World War II, when the Japanese surrendered, the United States took all their submarines and just sunk them by the sea so it couldn't be used against them. Well, Brother Luther said it may be like it was with the United States when we captured Japan. And the, they took, the United States took all of the submarines, which was a major weapon of war, and sunk them so that nobody else could use them against them. Well, <clears throat> does God need weapons of war? Not at all. And, and you know, uh, when I think about this, I think he didn't want his victories to be attributed to the quality of the army's weapons. You know, the same principle we find when Gideon was attacking with only 300 people. Now, who would say that Gideon could win with 300 people? It was obvious that the Lord was in charge. And here, who, these people that Joshua and the army came up against, we've already heard they were like the sands of the sea in number, and they had all of these weapons of war, but they lost they lost because God was on their side. And these victories continue. Look at uh, Joshua 11, verses 10 and 11. Joshua turned back as, at that time and took Hazar and struck its king with the sword. For Hazar was formerly the head of all those kingdoms. 
and they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazar with fire. Just as Rick has just read to us, Joshua captured Hazor and killed the king. The Bible's pretty explicit here. He said that they killed all that breathed. Hazor was the most important fortress in this part of Canaan because of its size and its location. And when they took Hazor, they broke the backbone of the northern resistance. Now then, let's look at verses 12 through 15. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly, utterly destroyed them, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded. But as for the cities that stood on their mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazor only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves, but they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. The Bible says Joshua took all these cities, he killed their kings, he utterly destroyed the inhabitants. The reference was made to Moses and what Moses had commanded. Let's look at that in Numbers 33, starting with verse 50. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed, Numbers 33, 50, uh, 53, Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants, inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and destroy all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. So not only had... God commanded Moses and Moses ultimately to Joshua that they destroy the inhabitants, but they were to, to destroy their worship places. Why would he, they destroy the worship places of these inhabitants? It's part of the Ten Commandments, you know. Brother Luther says it's part of the Ten Commandments and not supposed to worship idols. This, this, they were an idolatrous people. That's one of the reasons they're facing the wrath of God and, getting, and, and being purged here at this time. I want you to notice that they carried off the plunder and the livestock, but the most important thing is that Joshua left nothing undone that God had commanded. So Joshua's defeat of the northern kingdom, you know, this, this is a map depicting all of that, and a lot of the people in the north had all come together for this one battle. And so it was actually easier for Joshua and the army to do the mop-up operation since all of his enemies came together in one spot. Now let's look at the remainder of Joshua 11. 
Thus Joshua took all this land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the lowland and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands, from Mount Halak and the descent to Seir, even as far as Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all the others they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. And at that time Joshua came in and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in the Gath, and in Ashdod. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Rick was reading there that the Lord hardened their hearts. You know, they could have uh, turned and run and maybe just decided they'd move all of their people, but God hardened their heart and they decided to fight against God's army. And when they decided to fight against God's army, it was total destruction of their people. So when you look at just a summary of what he's read, Joshua took the entire land and he killed the kings. He waged war, the Bible says, for a long time. Actually, if you go back and research that, this war lasted about seven years. And Joshua did just as the Lord directed, and then the Bible says the land had rest from war. One of the things that they highlighted was that they destroyed the Anakites, the giants they had feared so that's found in Numbers, the 13th chapter. Would you read that for us, Rick? And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the pe people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Grasshoppers do? They whooped up on some giants. They killed all of them, the Bible says. So this chapter, when we look at chap the next chapter, chapter 12, it's a summary of those whom the Israelites conquered and the territory they took over east and west of the Jordan. Um, as long as they obeyed God, the evil cities and the countries fell. I, I believe there is a principle there for us. As long as we obey God, we're going to be subject to God's blessings. As long as Joshua and the children of Israel obeyed God, they had blessing after blessing. In uh, Joshua 12, verses 1 through 6, we have a flashback. We go back to Moses' time when they were on the east side of Jordan. And we actually find about the victories that Moses had. Rick, would you read starting in verse 1? 
These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated, in whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain. One king was Shehan, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in the Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead from Aurora, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river, even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites, and the, east, the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Chinneroth as far as the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, the road to Beth Jeshamoth, and southward below the slopes of Pisgah. The other king was Og, king of Bashan, and his territory, who was the remnant of the giants who dwelt at Ashtaroth and Indra, and and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salca, over the Bashan, as far as the border of the Gezerites and the Machathites, and over half of Gilead to the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, have given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. When I think about trivia, Bible trivia questions, I think a good Bible trivia question is who made the worst deal in the Bible? And, and Sihon, the king Sihon might have been the answer to that because Moses had said to him, if you'll give us clear passage through this area, we won't do anything to your land. And that king said, no, you can't go. And as a, as a result of that, he lost his life and all the people in the land lost their lives. And ultimately, this became an area that was available to Ephraim and Manasseh and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And uh, who was the other tribe? They asked for it, but they wouldn't have had that land if the king had just said, you can pass through it. So, you know, this, this ended up, probably fell into what God's plan was because the Bible did say that he hardened hearts during that time and he probably hardened that guy's heart as well. When you look at the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, you can see how big that territory was compared to the rest of the promised land that was captured. And, th and that was the part that Moses had conquered. Now, most of the time we think of the conquering of the promised land as just being Joshua, but that's not true. Moses had a big part in defeating uh, the people that occupied this area. Now, when you look at Numbers' account of uh, Moses' victories, and it will go into the little bit that I was talking about, about uh, what he su suggested. Let's just look at that. That's Numbers 21. Verses 21 through 25, and then 33 through 35. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highways until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness and he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified.
So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon, and in all its villages. And they turned and went up by the way to Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Indria. Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people, until there was no survivor left to him, and they took possession of his land. So as you can see, Moses was willing to pass through this area east of the Jordan and, and leave, it, leave the conquering until they had crossed Jordan and gone into the west. But they encountered resistance, and as a result of the encounter of the resistance, God helped them to defeat all the inhabitants there, and then that land became a possession for two and a half tribes. These next few verses are going to list the victories. We're going to just read from Joshua 12, verses 7 through 24. Most of these verses are just one line, so it's not as long as you think it is. But there are, I think, 31 kings altogether that they defeated. And I think it's important for us to let that sink into our minds as how big this defeat was. Rick? And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this side of the Jordan, on the west, from, Bal from Balgad in the valley of Lebanon as far as Mount Halak, and the ascent to Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions. In the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the south, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho won. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, won. The king of Jerusalem won. The king of Hebron won. The king of Jarmuth won. The king of Lachish won. The king of Eglon won. The king of Jizar won. The king of Debir won. The king of Jeter won. The king of Hormah won. The king of Arad won. The king of Libna won. The king of Adullam won. The king of Mechida won. The king of Bethel won. The king of Tapa won. The king of Hafor won. The king of Aphek won. The king of Lasheron won. The king of Madon won. The king of Hazor won. The king of Shimron Meron won. The king of Asaph won. The king of Tanak won. The king of Megiddo won. The king of Kadesh won. The king of Jopanim in Carmel won. The king of Dor in the heights of Dor won. The king of the people of Gilgal, or Gilgal won. The king of Terzah won. All the kings, 31. 31 kings came up against Joshua and the children of Israel, and none of them were victorious other than the initial victory at Ai but then ultimately they were defeated as well. And the only reason there was a problem at Ai is because there was sin in the camp. There should be a fantastic lesson for us there. God is powerful. You'll remember when uh, Peter at the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to get Jesus, 
took out his sword and cut off Malchus' ear. And Jesus had him put up his sword. He said that he could have uh, how many legions? Twelve? He could have brought twelve legions of angels to fight against that. I always thought that was interesting because I think a legion's about 6,000 people and you got 12 legions of angels, you're going to have about 72,000. We know in the Bible that one time one angel killed 187,000 people. Now just multiply 72,000 angels times 187,000 people, and what you're going to get is about the population of the world. You know, in essence, Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could wipe you all out. If God is for us, who can be against us? I hope the one thing we get out of studying Joshua is that God is powerful and God, if God is on our side, we're going to win. You know, under Moses and then Joshua's leadership, they overcame 31 cities and their kings. They overcame, as Rick has read, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You know, and after seven years of battle, they now have control of Canaan land, and the land was then to be divided among the tribes. And it's going to be left up to each tribe to clear out any remaining enemies that might be in the area that they're they're given. And we're going to, as we go on through Joshua, we're going to see that some tribes did better than others in this mop-up operation. In chapters 13 through 19 that we'll be studying here in the subsequent weeks, uh, it'll describe how this promised land was divided. And as we've talked several times, three tribes wanted to live on the east side of Jordan. They had sheep and other kinds of livestock, and that, was, that land was especially conducive to that type of uh, lifestyle. Just got a question for you to think about here and what could the inhabitants of Canaan have done to save their lives? Can you think of anything that they could have done? They could have given up idolatry. You know that? What? They could have went to another land. They could have went to another. That was what I was thinking of, Brother Luther. You know, yeah, what what do you do if you think you got somebody coming in and you got no hope of victory? You and you know that you can't surrender because if you surrender, you're going to be wiped out as well. Maybe you could run, but God didn't want them to do that. I think that's why the Bible tells us He hardened the hearts of their leaders and cause the leaders to fight against them. Uh, <clears throat> Joshua eleven fifteen tells us that Joshua was completely obedient to God's commands. Of what other Bible characters is this also said? 
Can you think? Noah. Noah. That's right. You look at the last verse of chapter 6 of Genesis, you're going to find that Noah did all that God commanded of him. So when he said he wanted the ark to have three floors, how many did it have? If he said the ark needed one window, how many did it have? How many doors? When he said he wanted him to pitch it within and without with pitch, what did he do? When he said he wanted him to make it with gopher wood, what kind of wood did he make it out of? I mean, we could go down the list. He did everything that God commanded. Okay, so Noah is one of those people. Can you think of anybody else other than Joshua and Noah that the Bible says they did all that God commanded? There are a lot of people that the Bible talks about now. Um, I would have to put Jesus on that list. When Jesus was praying in John the 17th chapter, he said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And we've talked about Noah, but in Joshua 14, we haven't gotten there yet, but in Joshua 14, 14, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. You know, what two spies gave a good report? Joshua and Caleb. And not only did they give a good report, the Bible talks very positively about both of them and how they were obedient to God. With the weather, I thought you might like a five-minute early dismissal tonight. Uh, The Lord's Supper has been prepared and is left prepared in the little chapel. If you didn't have an opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, it is available for you. Would you bow with me as we complete our class? Our loving Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your blessings. And we're so awestruck with the complete obedience of Joshua, and we pray that not only would we be awestruck, but we'd be motivated to be totally obedient to your will. We pray that you would help our understanding, help our opportunities to do good as we go through this new year. We ask your blessings to be upon the Boonville Church of Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.